Again, this is a subject that I would rather not preach on, but since it's in the scriptures, I have uh, just a duty to address the subject, uh, just as it is presented to us. Um, Last time we just dealt with the whole concept of false prophets, false teachers, and we went through uh, various scriptures, which we will continue this morning and then go on in our uh, exposition there. So let's uh, come to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies, your grace. Indeed, Lord, we want to have victory over this life, not to be overtaken by pleasures, good or bad, by cares, by the love of self. Lord, we we look to you, we desire, Lord, to go on with you to be delivered from every sin and come into that glorious kingdom both here and in the future, Lord of our Lord Jesus. We, we thank you, we praise you, grant us grace in your word, Lord, to understand, to um, avoid and to cling to, Lord, that which is good. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll read the first uh, nine verses of uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment... And spared not the old world, which, but the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. That section there on from verse 4 to 9 is a is an aside, really. He continues then in verse 10. 
by promising that God will uh, judge these men for their wickedness, even though they are outwardly uh, appearing to be righteous. That has been the pattern, and that's why they are so effective in um, getting people to listen to them and them appearing to be servants of God. Again, I'm reminded that the internet is a, wow, it is a a terrible place for the propagation of evil things. Again, it's about 30 years old. First time I ever heard about the internet was in 1992. No concept of what that might be like. 30 years later, look where the internet is. A place where there can be blessing, um, but um, I would say the net effect of it on society and on the church would be evil, would be bad. Um, And we ought to use it um, carefully. (laughs) But um, it's a... It's a propagation of all kinds of evil things. And I don't mean uh, overtly evil. I mean just spiritual things that are damaging. And in Paul's day, false teachers had to go from household to household. And it would, you know, it would take a while. I mean, think of how far removed Jerusalem is from Rome and how traveling preachers would have to go about, and they would have to go about from house to house. They'd speak in perhaps a church, a house church or something like that. But just think how long it would take. And things did travel, and false teaching did travel. Paul had the Galatian churches, a very large geographical area, overtaken by the Judaizing message. And if that happened then, just think of how rapidly a false doctrine could travel. Across the globe, just think Matthew Barber traveled 26 hours and they're on the other side of the world. Inconceivable 150 years ago. And now, uh, false doctrine can travel at the speed of light across the globe in a matter of minutes. Somebody could cook something up in another country, and it could be in our country, and somebody can be propagating it. And that's just the nature of how we live. Um, So these things are just as important now as they were then, and perhaps even more so, the traveling of these things. So we, I think I was listening to One man, he said, 26 of the New Testament books mention false teaching, false teachers, false prophets. One book, Philemon, does not. Um, So it's a subject that we cannot ignore, and we must be vigilant uh, about it. Let's turn to, um, where did we leave off? I think we left off in 2 Corinthians. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Some um, books are more 
uh, dedicated to the subject than others. Some it's, it's mentioned in just a few verses. Others, the whole book is concerning that. As I mentioned last time, Galatians, uh, 2 Corinthians is completely dedicated to the combating of false teachers that had wormed their way into the midst. Galatians is uh, the same thing. Turn to, um, what do I say, Philippians. Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And um, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I to write to you the things, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, and that's not the four-legged kind. But the two-legged kind, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, a term for Judaizing men that preach that unless you're circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. That message was delivered to Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. And they combated that message, and eventually there was a decision by... The pillars at Jerusalem, the apostles, and the Holy Ghost, and that message was given. And that message became a false doctrine, which Paul battled uh, in the early church. Not so big of a message now, although you'll come across it now and then. But here he, he uh, talks about beware of these men. And then he gives... His rebuttal to that in verse 1 through 12. But it was something that Paul battled his whole um, time when he was on the earth. And where there is a true message, there will always be a false one. And always coming alongside the true and looking as much um, like it as possible. Hannah was given a warning that there was some false currency circulating. And when you looked at it, you think, okay, there's a, it's blatantly um, false. But if you put it in a bunch of other bills and you just went, and somebody just tossed them out there, that's how they do it. They don't put a whole whack of counterfeit bills. And some bills are much better than that. They have, they look very very close and the devil is like that he has his obvious things that are sinful and wrong and that contradict the, the Bible completely but he also introduces and here it says privily things that are subtle at first and then they would again become uh, blatantly obvious later but by then they've done their damage so to speak in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect to a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. So these were Judaizing elements. And then he warns them um, 
in verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility, neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So again, um, people that would talk about visions of angels, having dreams, prophets are called dreamers, and the true prophets did have dreams, um, but false prophets have dreams as well, and they seek to allure people with the supernatural. Turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> In verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. So, false letters were circulating, and false messages. And then he says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of of perdition. Now we're not going to go into depth in this, but the end result of that um, son of perdition is that they believe a lie. Down in verse 11, for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. What is the lie? I believe it's this man of sin is God. And like a false messiah. But look at the result in verse 12, that they might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So lack of belief in the truth, faith in the truth, and they were deceived. And that was uh, not a desire that Paul had for the Thessalonian church. Over into 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 3. But as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that you mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, giving heed to fables and to endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. So, Paul gave a charge to Timothy, left him behind to specifically address the whole issue of false teachers and false doctrine in Ephesus, and that was a major undertaking, which he uh, gives him this charge throughout First and Second Timothy. And they were, again, that Judaizing element, Jewish fables, genealogies, And there was always questions, and these were teachers of the law. All of these things he tells Timothy to uh, fight against, not with fists, but with the truth of God. Turn over to uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. 
So throughout the book of First and Second Timothy, there is these um, doctrinal statements about the person of Christ because that is always called into question where false teachers are present, either by a denial of his teaching or a denial of his person. That is always the case. And in uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. As we shall see in our passage there, the, the person of Christ, both his work, his ministry, the substance of who he is, is always called into question along with his uh, teaching. Turn over to chapter 6 of First Timothy. Chapter 6 and verse 3. <clears throat> He's just taught many uh, true things. And then in verse 3, he says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine that is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, wherein cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Again, false teachers are motivated, we saw that last time, with the the whole thing of getting gain. They see the ministry as a way to make money. And I did watch a uh, short clip of something I, I just don't watch normally. I just don't. But uh, I know I'm aware that they're out there, and sometimes you've got to clean the septic tank. It's just not a nice job, but if you don't do it, uh, you've got problems. So it's good to be aware, but not absorbed. I think that's uh, very... Uh, important because wow, you could just yeah could watch thousands of hours. I think I think my son told me how many hours of YouTube videos are watched every day in the world is absolutely unbelievable. Like you would never believe it if I told you the statistic, which I forget, but <laughs> it is a lot. Um, it just shows you how many people are consumed uh, with these things. Would to God we be consumed about those things that Martin was talking about, the the person of Christ, the salvation of sinners, um, the uh, setting our affection on things above. Turn to uh, Titus, Titus chapter 1. And one thing you'll notice, that there are few or relatively few true prophets, but they are many false prophets. That's, John says there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. Just think, at the beginning, you had the twelve, and then you had men that were prophets and evangelists, but relatively few. 
But many, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that's still the case. Um, I stagger at, I think I looked at one website that that named uh, the known false prophets that are high profile, I guess, in the United States. The list was, it was in alphabetical order, was endless. It was just, and all these people operate where? On the internet. (laughs) On the internet. And people, that's where they live. They live on YouTube. They live on screens. And uh, they do go to churches with buildings. But a lot of this stuff is propagated uh, on the internet. Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not to for filthy lucre's sake. There it is, filthy lucre. For money, these men operate. That's where they are at. And I did share that story last time about how that came knocking on my door. Turn over to chapter 3 of uh, Titus, chapter 3 and verse 8. Again, here's a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, but... Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he which is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. So again, sometimes you have to engage people that are teaching false things. Not a nice job. Um, but it has to be done. Um, And the naming of names must be done. I would say that's not everyone's job, even though one man I listened to said it's everyone's job to go around rebuking people. I'm thinking that is, uh, yeah, people can be overzealous in that, and of course I engaged in much of that myself. But um, being careful to mark somebody out and being sure that they are teaching falsehoods and they are who uh, somebody like this who would need to be rejected. So it is a continual uh, message in the scripture. Lastly, turn to 1 John. And um, the whole book of Jude perhaps is is committed to this whole subject of false teachers. But First John is as well, and he gives many tests for uh, determining these false teachers. <clears throat> First John chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, it says try the spirits. He's not talking about something elusive that you can't see. It's the spirit that's in a man preaching. 
teaching. That's what he's talking about. Because behind everyone that's speaking is a spirit. Um, You can't have somebody that is neutral in their presentation of whatever they are speaking about. It's... um, There's a spirit behind it. And then he gives certain tests for determining that, both doctrinal and behavioral. Loving the brethren, confessing Christ as coming in the flesh. All of these things are uh, signs of a true or a false uh, teacher. Then lastly, Jude and Revelation also speaks of false teachers. Jude, the whole book, really speaks of it. And we'll just read verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, again, that's privily, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, men that would have um, a gospel, if I could say that, that would uh, teach people to be lascivious, that God forgives all sin, therefore, you know, and they could live wicked lives and they would still continue on in that way and they would and then deny the Lord both of his person and his words. These men were in the church in the first century, and they were, people were unaware of it, and that's why Jude writes how to deal with them, and and then how to combat their teaching, and the way to do it is with the truth. So, let's turn back to 2 Peter, that's just a quick a quick survey of, I think we went through the Old Testament last time where there, Jeremiah, uh, various other prophets, they were always there right from the beginning. And mark it, they were able to do signs and wonders by the power of the devil, but uh, nonetheless they would do supernatural things that would hook people And it's still the same today. It's exactly the same. Um, Yeah, I'll refrain from getting into that, which I uh, viewed, but um, perhaps we'll talk about it later. But it is the same, and people are enamored by the supernatural, and then um, they are duped by the lies that these men... And they're subtle. Subtlety, as we said is uh, the work of false prophets. They don't come in overtly. Um, They come in stealth, hiding their real lives, perhaps. And uh, even when people do find out about them, they make excuses for them, etc., etc. So turn back there to 2 Peter. False prophets... (coughs) among the people, so that was the Old Testament. But then he says, there shall be false teachers among you. 
So false teacher would be the um, what's mostly addressed in the Old Testament. There were false apostles, men that were claiming to be apostles, that the Lord um, and the church um, sought to uh, expose. But they do uh, bring in privily uh, false doctrine, damnable heresies. And I thought it good to talk about what a damnable heresy actually is so that we know what we're talking about when you come across it. And again, we, as I studied through this, I thought, so these people, it says... It says they're even denying the Lord that bought them. So they deny Christ both by their teaching that it isn't um, the true gospel, the true uh, content of the apostolic message, usually focusing on health and wealth and prosperity in this life. And don't talk much about the cross, about self-denial, about suffering, all of those things, and if you do suffer, then you're outside of the will of God and all kinds of nonsense that these men come up with, but nonetheless, it is uh, true. So it's not just about denying the deity of Christ, because there are many that affirm the deity of Christ and do preach a false message. But there were, are many false prophets who would not deny the deity of Christ, but some who would so I would say that's the, at the very top. Denying the deity of Christ would be a damnable heresy. And to teach that would be to damn others because you're teaching a false Christ. Something that is just not true about Christ Jesus. And with it comes inevitably a false message. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard of a man named Arius. He was an elder in the church at Alexandria. An elder in the church of God. And he began to teach this in the 3rd century A.D. We believe, and he had gathered many other men with him, uh, that there are three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. God, the Father, the cause of all things, is alone without beginning. The Son, begotten of the Father before time, made before the ages were founded, was not before he was begotten nor is eternal, nor co-eternal. So he taught that Christ was a created being. The first creation, and the, this is still being propagated today by the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower, and other cults and groups. But this man came up with this doctrine. The Arians held that although the incarnate Logos, that's Jesus, is finite, and hence not God, he is to be worshipped as being unspeakably exalted above all other creatures, the immediate creator and governor of the universe, and the redeemer of man. This doctrine is, again, 250 A.D. to 300 A.D. And this came into the church that Christ is not uh, an eternal being, but he is created, but he is to be worshipped which is nonsense. That would mean God created another God, and the scripture denounces that. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. 
This is a denial of the first commandment. But these men thought they were clever, and they introduced something. See, we, we still believe in worshiping Christ, but no, uh, it's a denial of the Godhead. It's a denial of the first commandment. The Arians adhered to the scriptures. So notice that these men were dangerous because they believed that the Bible was the word of God. And there are many men that do believe that they don't have their own writings they're bringing in, although they started to introduce them then. But uh, there are many cults that have their book and the Bible, and they usually set aside the scripture by their own book, but these men adhered to the scriptures, but they twisted them to their own destruction. So this doctrine does exist amongst the uh, Jehovah's Witness and the Christadelphians. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're a cult that yeah, basically teaches the same thing about Jesus Christ. And they exist... Um, in unorganized form, the uh, Christadelphians. And again, rarely does the false doctrine stay at one thing, but it usually goes into many other things about Christ and about the gospel. <clears throat> Here's another one. Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. So in the Corinthian congregation, there were people that were teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead. And people tolerated that. And so Paul has to write to them to point out the implications of believing there is no resurrection. Um, notice in verse 2, or we'll just read it, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which was preached unto you, which also ye are, you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if, that's a condition, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So to believe that there is no resurrection is to nullify the gospel. And he goes on to say why. So it's no small thing to say there is no resurrection. The Sadducees and the scribes, they also believe the same thing, the Sadducees. So this is nothing new. But in verse 3 he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the Old Testament scriptures. That he was buried that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Again, all prophesied in the Old Testament. And then he goes on um, to say that the apostles and uh, 500 brethren all saw the risen Christ. And then he says in verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection? Of the dead. So there were people, Christian people in the Corinthian congregation, that were saying 
there's no resurrection of the dead. And where they got this from, they didn't get it from the scriptures or from the apostles. They were just introducing it into the church as an idea. And who knows what, uh, what the source of it was, if they claimed to be prophets themselves, etc. But the whole idea was that uh, there is no resurrection. And then the implications of that is that the Christian faith is vain. Christ isn't even raised if there's no resurrection of the dead because Christ was a man. He was God, but he was a man. So Paul goes on to combat that. And then over in verse 34, or no, in verse 33, he says, Be not deceived. So this was a deception that if you received it, you believe the gospel in vain. It's all the implications. It's like dominoes. If there is no resurrection, then Christ isn't raised, and your faith is vain, and we're false witnesses of God, and it just goes on down the line. And so Paul has to point that out. He says, do not be deceived. Evil communications, and this was an evil communication, corrupts good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So they were to deal with this. And if this person or persons did not stop propagating that, then they were to be put out of the church because this is a damnable heresy. Um, Damnable heresies are to the soul what a virus would be to your body. It is unhealthy and some viruses, some can lead to death. Usually your immune system can fight it off. The immune system is the truth. So you get a sickness, and then you need to fight it off uh, with the truth. <clears throat> Turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, these things were all being propagated within the lifetime and the ministry of Paul. So if that was going on then, under his nose, how much more now? Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. <clears throat> but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat death, doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. So he names these two men. He named Hymenaeus in 1 Timothy. And notice what they're teaching. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. And look at the effect. And overthrow the faith of some. Some people uh, were overthrown. Why? The resurrection's passed already. You missed it. There's nothing left for us. And some people just, like, they couldn't handle that. They would fall into depression, discouragement, whatever it be. And some people were overthrown by that. And so he tells Timothy to silence these men. And um, 
there were other men in the church, Alexander, who uh, also taught false doctrine. Turn over to Acts chapter 15. We've mentioned this one before. Acts chapter 15. So this is early on in the church. The church is just uh, in its fledgling stages. And look what we have here. And this is Apostles are still around, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this was their message. You need, Jesus is good, the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. And this is why the men were so convincing. But, you need also to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. I don't know what they said to the women, but this is what they said to the men. And um, therefore, it says, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So then there's a deliberation and they deliver the ruling. So then after that, um, this message that you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved became a false doctrine, a damnable heresy, which Paul encountered throughout his ministry. Uh, It's mentioned there in Philippians chapter 3, and it's mentioned in all of the book of Galatians how that had everywhere they went, these men went behind him and would seek to overthrow uh, the brethren. We mentioned the worship of angels there in Colossians chapter 2. Not really a popular thing that I've come across, although there is a little bit of that. Um, um, Believing the man of sin would be God. I believe that uh, whole thing has been propagated uh, under the system of the Roman Catholic Church, the papacy and everything else. Men exalting themselves. Uh, yeah, the reading there is just yeah, unbelievable. What uh, I got kind of roped in with reading about um, uh, Martin Luther, a whole... Sequence of events that happened in his coming to the diet of worms and giving his defense there and everything else. Um, much ignorant of that. But the way the papacy took over the church, and when I say the church and the world, the Pope was a ruler uh, in the world, declaring himself to be uh, the vicar of Christ on earth. So turn to uh, Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, and verse 29. 
Hebrews 10, 29. So we've seen how these men deny uh, the Lord Jesus, and it talks about the punishment for such a person. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So these men would teach or deny Christ and you'll notice that they were The Lord had bought them (laughs) so that at one time, either in reality or they were just like Judas, uh, men that had fallen away from the truth in their hearts and had sought to go after, after money, after personal gain, and they had began to teach uh, these damnable heresies. Um, They even deny the Lord. Uh, that bought them. So they deny not necessarily his deity, although that is there, but they would deny the teaching of Christ himself uh, through their, uh, what they say and what they don't say. And uh, Paul says, I've not failed to declare unto you basically the whole truth of the gospel. And that is a faithful minister, doesn't avoid, if I could say, the difficult things, and doesn't major on uh, certain things, the health, the wealth, and all of this stuff, and seek to fatten their own wallets in uh, doing so. And then he says at the end of verse 1, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Um, that's in the, in really in the, because these men exist in the church, so it isn't like they all uh, are destroyed like um, immediately. I can't even think of his name. Um, Ananias and Sapphira. It doesn't happen like that. These men exist, and they continue to propagate their doctrine, but the fact that they will be judged is laid out in Scripture. But nonetheless, it's our job to avoid them, and it's the minister's job, I believe, to point them out and to also say, avoid these people. And... Where necessary, names would have to be named. And I believe that Peter doesn't mention names because the whole, uh, even though Paul does, because it was applicable there, these were men in the Ephesian congregation, if I could say that, in the city of Ephesus that were teaching these things, and their names were mentioned. But Peter doesn't mention names because this is for all time, and the names change and come and go. But um, the principles and 
what they teach and how they operate does not. And so that's why it is mentioned. Verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Again, they, they are very effective, both by gathering other disciples to themselves and then also propagating um, other false teachers, but how they uh, gain many followers. It's grievous, but it is the case. Uh, Pernicious is having the quality of destroying, destructive, ruinous, and fatal. It's like spiritual Ebola. (laughs) Ebola, I think, is 80 to 90% fatal. COVID is 1 or 2% if that gives you any idea of the comparison. So these, uh, their doctrines are like spiritual Ebola. They affect people's souls and they draw them away after themselves. And then the unfortunate uh, effect is by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So God's Person, his gospel is blasphemed because of the teaching of these men, their ungodly ways. And people say, if that's a Christian, then, you know, and that then the way of God, the gospel, is blasphemed. It's uh, unfortunate. It's It's happening today, and it has happened for centuries before. It's, it's just unfortunately, matter of fact. Um, But nonetheless, we we just, yeah, we just have to go on. We see what is there and it has to be uh, dealt with. Verse 3, through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So this is one of two main motives. We spoke of that last time. Covetousness is one, and lasciviousness is another. Um, Again, I did, was watching this one, these two men talking about, uh, about this, and happened to mention this particular, I don't even know if I want to tell you the, yeah, I won't even tell you the, the website or the, uh, I, I'm not the, I don't know the proper terminology for it, but this, this uh, show where many false teachers come on and this one other man said he, he could, he was dumbfounded at the, the lunacy, he said, of some of the things that these men, in the name of Christ, propounded. So I thought, well, I mean, really, can it be that bad? And I just watched one episode of this show that in the United States, there is 1.2 million subscribers to this show. Um, 
and they have on all these guest speakers that talk about their particular ministry or whatever it might be. So this one particular man, he, again, a Christian minister, even wearing a cross and everything else, um, talked about his, the miracles and everything that God was doing in his life. And the miracles, and they have pictures and documented evidence that in this man's meetings, he gets gold dust on his hands. And they show a picture of him with this gold dust all over his hands. And, on, and it's not dandruff on his coat, it's gold dust. And what that was supposed to mean, other than it was just a miracle, I, yeah, I was like, really? I mean, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> gold dust, like covering his black jacket, he's his gold dust, and he's there, he's the picture, he's there. You know, and this, all the, the media that went into promoting this guy. And another thing was, oil would drip off of his hands. And he just wrote a new book called the, the Oil, and it's you know, all bringing in, it's all about the Holy Spirit and everything else. And literally, oil, they'd show pictures of him in a meeting, and there were pictures, they weren't video, where this oil would drop off of his hands and fill up entire glasses. And then they would put on the floor kind of like a shop towel, and he would walk on it. He says, oil was just pouring out of my feet. And then we'd cut up those, those shop towels and take them, and then people would be healed of, because Paul, that happened to Paul, people would be healed by these oil-covered shop towels that I have, you know, this. And he went on and on, and the crazy, like you, crazy stuff that this, but, and you can get his book. For thirty nine or no, it was thirty five ninety five, and I just did a quick math on it. I thought, how about if a hundred thousand people bought this book? And my wife did the calculations: three point nine million dollars. If only a hundred thousand people, which ten percent, no one point two, one hundred twenty thousand people bought his book, it'd be well over four million dollars. And these books are advertised, and he had a dream, and uh, yeah, all this stuff about the oil and everything, and God is doing a new thing. He had a dream, and the Shekinah glory was on his Bible at the end of his bed, and they even show a video of him waking up. And like, Can you imagine Paul like making a video of him and selling his book? Like his book. Not the Bible, but selling his book about how God has been. It is absolute, complete nonsense. And it's all about money. And people don't realize that. And then he says, I was in a meeting and the piano started playing by itself. And then we heard angels' voices and all of this incredible stuff that just... Like, if that piano started playing for itself, you think. Like, these are signs not of the person of God, but of the occult. And yet, so many people are duped by these things. Just think of all the self-promoting miracles that are happening in this man's ministry. 
and you think of the Lord Jesus, there wasn't any of that stuff. He could have flown around the world, you know, just up in the, like a jet plane and come back down and gold dust on his garments. All this stuff is just, it's so grievous. And yet so many people are falling for it. And many of these men, through covetousness, um, yeah, just slick presentation I mean, Paul is going to get into that through fair speeches. They deceive the hearts of the uns. Talk about, they're all talking about Jesus and all the wonderful things that God is doing and everything else. But uh, if you stuck around to see behind the scenes what's happening, men with their jet planes and their fleet of cars and their beautiful homes that they live in, the apostles had none of these things. Paul said, we are the oft scouring of the world, the dregs of all things, no certain dwelling place. This was the mark of an apostle, not living in some ivory tower. And yet, um, it's again and again and again. Hundreds, men and women, propagating these things. Mostly men. Mostly men, by the way. Although there are some women. But this is what Peter is warning about. Through covetousness, they with feigned words, false words, feigned, it's it's their way they operate, they make merchandise of you. So the people of God, which this is exactly full-blown what this verse is talking about, making merchandise of people, using them to gain money to fund their own operations, their own... Um, hedonistic lifestyles, etc., etc. And this is, I wish it were one person, but it's not. It's many, many, many men and some women that have done this. So they make merchandise of the people of God. They use them for their own ends to get money. And that's... uh, one of the first marks of a false teacher. And then he says, Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So even though they're still going about propagating their false doctrines, um, God uh, tells them the end of it. So, it's, unfortunately, there is a long history of, of this whole practice. Our Lord cleared out the temple in Matthew 21 of what? Money changers, men that were using the temple of God as a place to make money. It's, nothing has changed. He overturned the tables and he said, Make not my father's house a place of what? Merchandise. This is exactly the same thing. So as soon as you see people that are selling stuff, I mean, Paul wasn't writing books about himself. And notwithstanding, many people have, and perhaps they don't have this motive, but if they do, shame on them for writing books about themselves. And it's always about the Lord, but promoting their own self and 
than getting rich off of that. I just don't see that in the lives of ministers of the gospel. I just don't. Um, and when you see that, bing, uh, a light should go off that this is not a good sign. But not being quick to condemn. But, yeah, but also not burying our head in the sand either. And I thought about my own life. I thought, yeah, it's not this men are always propagating signs and wonders, but would to God that there be true ministers that have signs and wonders that are not self-promoting. Paul was not a self-promoter. Peter, the apostles. Um, so as soon as you see self-promotion, and certainly when you see people getting rich off the people of God, um, again, it was the Pharisees did it, the, um, and many uh, people since have done it. Turn to Jude 16. Probably Jude is the... Yeah, dedicated to this whole subject. Jude 16. <clears throat> we'll be reading more of this book, but... Uh, These are murmurers, <clears throat> complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So they are always, they're teachers. They're not just somebody in the congregation, if you know what I mean. They are teachers. They're people at the front with influence. And they, um, flatterers and all of these things, they do it for their own personal gain, personal advantage. They get into a position. They have to get to the top or you can't have influence, really. And they get to a place of position as a teacher or as an apostle. And they have influence. And they are after two things. They're after money and they're after immorality. That's what, and you see that in the life of so many people uh, that are in that place. Again, it's just so commercialized in the United States. But it's happening in other parts of the world. If you've read Paul Hathaway's book, uh, what's it called again? The Asian Harvest, uh, is that? You can read about it there. Um, and you can search that out for yourself. But men that still operate, even though they're uh, after those things. So, turn back to Second Peter. <clears throat> He says at the end of verse 3, And their damnation slumbereth not. And then he, then he gives three examples of God's judgment in the past and as proof that he's going to judge these men in the future. We can just read them quickly. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. So weaved into this is that God, in his judgment, 
preserves the righteous and condemns the wicked. That's um, even though, yeah, it's kind of scary when God is meeting out judgment. And in this case, God judges the world, but he saves the righteous, uh, Noah and his family. And verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah unto ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example of those that should after live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling in Sodom, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Notice the effect of living in an ungodly society on the righteous person. Just vex your soul. Move you to prayer. Move you to uh, preaching the gospel. Not condemning of sinners. <laughs> and that we have to remember that so much. When, even when he was faced with those ungodly men, he said, brethren, do not so wickedly. Didn't rail on them. Um, God's going to burn you up, you. you know, just all kinds of stuff that people uh, representing Christ can get into. But he was vexed in seeing and hearing uh, what they do and what they say. And this ought to be our reaction. Uh, Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And then he goes on. That's a hiatus. God's going to judge them. Their damnation slumbereth not. And then he talks about three examples where God has judged in the past. Delivering the godly and punishing the wicked, but then he goes on, chiefly them that walk after the flesh. Um, and we'll end there. Again, it's a, a grievous subject, but something we need to be aware of. Um, I think that man used a comparison I think, I don't know if you're aware of John MacArthur, Grace to You Ministry, has 400,000 followers. Don't even like that word in that context. 400,000 people that are subscribed to his uh, website, his YouTube channel, whatever, and that other man had 1.2 million. Um... Again, the, the reality of this is uh, ever-present in our day. I think the Lord would have us stay off the Internet for that. Uh, we use it like a tool. Remember Henry Clausen's exhortation uh, many years ago. A tool, you don't, I don't bring my drill and my pouch and my stuff to church. And your phone, just like use it wisely. Um, Stay away from wasting time and uh, st certainly stay away from, yeah. I think your diet should be in the local church, notwithstanding 
there are many other faithful ministers of the gospel that preach and we listen to it, different messages I have, and um, I certainly wouldn't want to cast dispersion on that, but you've got to know the life of the minister. Like, it's just the whole tape thing. I'm dating myself. There's no such thing as a tape anymore. The whole recording um, is not natural. Because you would know the life of the minister. You would have verification of their life. You would hear about them. You would see them and everything. And even with that, they were right there in the midst of them and they were living ungodly lives. I'm sure it would come to light. But that's the context of which we uh, listen to the Word of God. It's by ministers that we know and we know their lives and that's the way it ought to be. So 